is Adam. Welcome back to Bringing It Backwards, a podcast where both legendary and rising artists tell their own personal stories of how they achieve stardom. On this episode, we had a chance to hang out with Ben Abraham over Zoom video. Ben was born and raised in Melbourne in Australia, and he talks about how he got into music. Both of his parents were in a pop duo in Indonesia. They were really, really famous, and they ended up moving to Melbourne, and while there, became really involved in a church. So Ben was raised in the church. That's how he also kind of got into music, was a piano player. Didn't pick up guitar until he was in his 20s, actually. He was working at a children's hospital. He picked up the guitar there and ended up writing a song with a 13-year-old. Showed it to the hospital. They loved the song, and it became the song that he would go out and perform at different fundraisers, kind of validating him as a songwriter. From there is when he decided to start songwriting as a career. He put a record out called Sirens. We talk about that. Moving to Los Angeles, scoring a publishing deal, which allowed him to write with a bunch of different songwriters and artists in Los Angeles. He ends up building a real close bond with Kesha, wrote the song Praying with Kesha. Around the same time, he was struggling with a lot of life things. He actually put an Instagram post out about it. You could read it uh, on his Instagram page. Uh, he put it out in February of 2022, so you could check that out. Uh, kind of backlogging what was happening in his life, which led to releasing this new record, which is called Friendly Fire. And we hear about that and the song Another Falling Star, which was inspired by Kesha, but not in the way you would imagine. The title has nothing to do with her. Uh, it was a line she said in a phone conversation. So he talks about that as well. You can watch the interview with Ben on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. It would be awesome if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. And if you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, it'd be amazing if you follow us there as well and hook us up with a five-star review. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're bringing it backwards with Ben Abraham. Well, this podcast is all about you, uh, your journey in music, and we'll talk about the new record. Great. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, born and raised in Melbourne. Is that what yeah. I read? Yeah. Melbourne. Very, very well done. You said that before. I have. You know, I've, I've, met, I've met a few, a few people from Melbourne and a, a lot of people, you know, Melbourne. Yeah, not gonna cut it. But I, I always think, get complimented on knowing how to say it correctly. No, it's, imp it's impressive. I I would accept Melbourne. I think it's just the quickness of the second syllable. It's just Melbourne. That's very obviously you've never been there. Right, I've never been there either. I actually we used to work with a guy from there, so he I'd hear him say Melbourne oh, all the time, and then yeah, it just yeah. it landed. It's stuck, and I, and and now I sound like I know what I'm talking I like about. It. <laughs> exactly. What was it like growing up there? Growing up in Melbourne, um, growing up in, I love Melbourne. Melbourne's like, how do I describe Melbourne? I, as a city, I always say Sydney's, because Sydney and Melbourne are like really the only two cities in Australia that you need to know about. Uh, <laughs> if Sydney's the hottest person at a party. Sydney's the hot person at a party and Melbourne's the interesting, the most interesting person at a party. Okay. Um, so certainly as a musician, I, Melbourne was the best uh, place to kind of incubate as a young artist because I think um, it's cold. There's not a lot to do. So everyone's a bit more thoughtful and creative. And like Sydney, everyone's just surfing and it's sunny and beautiful. 
Uh, but Melbourne's like where all the authors and poets and depressed artists live. So it was the perfect environment for me to kind of hone my craft as a singer songwriter. Okay. And yeah, audiences, you know, are just really receptive to like going out and seeing live music and stuff. So I, growing up in that environment was great. My parents are musicians. Mm -hmm. Um, It was just a good environment to kind of, to grow up amongst. Yeah. Were they still doing it when, when you were born? No. So they, by the time I was born, I mean, they were still, they are still like singers, but by the time I was born, they were very involved in church and like okay. they would play music, but only in the context of church. Um, and then because they were what, in like a pop band, right? A that's right. Group? In Indonesia, bef- before me and my siblings were born, they, my mom's Australian, but she lived in Indonesia where she met my dad and they were pop stars. They have a song. Even now, like most people don't know who my parents are, but if you sing the song, you could grab anyone on the street in Indonesia and they will know the song that my parents sang. That's so cool. That's cool. I'm sure you've been, I would imagine. I have been. Yeah. I have. A, I think that my parents are in the Indonesian Rolling Stone hall of fame. <laughs> no <laughs> way. <laughs> you should strive for that as well. Then you can, be, you know, parents and their, I, yeah, 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 yeah. that'd be awesome. I, okay. I need to chase that down. Yeah. I need to get an Indonesian publicist onto it. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I've been there a couple of times. Um, but it's funny, I, I don't think, I grew up knowing about my parents being famous, but it, like in Indonesia, but mm-hmm. it didn't really sink in like how kind of significant their music career there was until I was like in my 30s, like I was much older. Really? Was there like something that, a moment that urged you go there? Oh, I just, like- I think I just grew up and it was a fact of our lives. And it wasn't until I was like fully in the swing of my music career that I was like, okay, wait. Like when you say you guys like had a big song and then I would just like researched it and looked and I was like, Oh, like you were, you were famous. Yeah. You had like a smash. <laughs> yeah. Like, cause I guess when you're a kid, you just don't, that stuff just doesn't register. You're like, Oh yeah. That's just like my parents. That was their job or whatever. Like before. Right. It's like, there was always just these photo albums of them singing at like big festivals and stuff, but it just, none of it registered that it was mm-hmm. a big deal until I was you know, playing festivals. And then I was like, oh, you guys have done all this, which is funny then like with their relationship to my music career is quite funny because they are both very excited about everything that's going on. But also I just get extremely detailed like feedback from them because they're musicians. Oh, like okay. if I show them a demo or something, my mom's always more emotional feedback, but still will be like, there's not enough passion in your vocal on this. <laughs> Um, and then my dad will say things like, yeah, I don't know about that. The snare feels like it's been mixed in a weird way in that song. And I'm just like, guys, do you take any of it and and bring it back to the mixer? You just just go, okay. Yeah. (laughs) We'll look into it. (laughs) My favorite, my favorite was one where I sent them like a link to Spotify to like, oh, this song just came out, but I don't think I specifically said the song just came out. I just sent them the link and was like, Hey, here's my new song. And my dad was like, this is great, but I think you could, I actually think you should pitch this one up like a semitone. I think that you can really hit that note better. And I was like, dad, this is out. This is done. Like, <laughs> the record this, is done. Yeah, this is not, <laughs> this is not an opportunity for you to give me like feedback. Um, and then he was like, oh, in that case, I love it. It's perfect. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Did, yeah. Were they, uh, you know, skeptical about you pursuing your career in music? No, that's one thing that's great. I think uh, my dad, I, Indonesians are so musical 
And they're also like, they're not that kind of Asian cliche of like forcing their kids to like be high achievers. <laughs> so my <laughs> dad, and my parents are just like chill people. So they, they were like, you don't want to go to university. Don't you have to do that? You don't want to do this. Like, don't you want to pursue music? Go for it. Like they just were always pretty relaxed about that stuff. That's cool. Um, so yeah. But then with that comes like, they definitely, if I was certainly up to the point at home when I would play a show in Melbourne and they would be like, and do we have to come to this one or do you want us to, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which I love. I mean, I, I like that. They're, they're just very relaxed about the whole thing. That's cool. They're like, so it's a, you said it's on Tuesday. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> they're, they're, but the, and they were never as blunt as I just made it. It would more be like, and did you want us at this one or is this one that you don't really need us? And I was like, it's fine, guys. You can stay home. I don't need you. <laughs> okay. That's pretty funny. So when they moved to, to back to Australia, to yeah. Australia, when you guys were, when you had, they had you and that's when they got back involved in the church or were they always involved in the church? And they, they were kinda... not always, they became Christians in Indonesia, had very sort of radical uh, experience and they weren't raised as Christians, but had like a radical conversion then moved to Australia and for sort of kind of entertained a music career in Australia, but then got involved in this sort of very intense church that was filled with like university students in the the eighties. Okay. Um, and then just sort of changed and decided that they didn't want to pursue a music career anymore and were more interested in doing the church thing. Um, so always music focused, but, just in a different context. Okay. So you must've been pretty involved what in the church as well. And yeah, when you I kind of got I mean, music through them as well. Yes. Yeah. Okay. There are five kids in my family. All of us are musical and we all just grew up playing. I mean, I didn't even think about it as being involved or not involved. It just was life. Okay. <laughs> like playing. Cause my parents would like run the music team at whatever church we were going to as kids. And so we would just, I mean, I, I didn't really like, I was very young when all that was happening, but, it was just part of our lives. So we would just like sing at Christmas time, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. And then, um, yeah. And then as I got older, that really the first couple of songs that I wrote were like as a teenager writing like church choruses. Okay. Which was kind of, again, it's a nice sort of stress-free environment to try and try your hand at writing music. Right. And have like a built-in audience. Exactly. Exactly. Just <laughs> force 200 people to sing a song that you just wrote. Yeah. <laughs> or watch you perform one. <laughs> or watch you. Exactly. 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 Uh, um, well, when, well, actually, what was the first instrument you learned how to play? Uh, piano. I grew up playing. We learned Suzuki. So um, we learned like playing by ear. My dad was a Suzuki. Oh, wow. With, funnily, my dad was a Suzuki flute teacher. Uh, and I did learn the flute a little bit, but not that much. So this is part of like my dad's so chill. You would think like he was a flute teacher. Why wouldn't he teach all of his kids the flute? But he, mm-hmm. I don't think any of us really wanted to learn it. And he was like, oh, okay. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> no, so yeah, piano. And then um, it wasn't until really in my 20s that I like picked up a guitar. Really? Is that when you started... I mean, obviously this, you know, the, the career you have now is, you know, singer, songwriter, guitar yeah. kind of driven, but like with piano, were you writing songs on piano prior and like performing? Yes. out? I mean, yeah, uh, I wasn't performing them out places. Um, once I started, like, once I transitioned into like playing music 
outside of a church context and just like kind of doing it as an artist. That's when I, my first few gigs, I had like a friend who would play guitar for me. And I remember one time bringing my dad's guitar to a show being like, I'm going to play guitar tonight. And at the end of the show, my friend, the guitarist was like, you shouldn't do that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I was pretty bad. And it's funny, like, I'm still not a good guitarist. Like, I'm fine. I can do what I need to do and I can make the guitar sound how I need to sound for Mm -hmm. my songs. But I am not a good guitarist. And I, you know, I don't have any ego about that. I wish I was better. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I kind of, I learned to do it by necessity because it's so annoying to travel with a piano. It's so much. Oh, yeah. I mean travel with a guitar um but that's kind of what i did for a lot that's, of those early gigs so i was kind of forced myself to just have to learn how to play guitar, guitar. Yeah. and you kind of use it what is like a vehicle to to write and perform yeah. your songs out? And, yeah and and i do find it interesting as a songwriter i write differently depending on what instrument i write on um so the guitar also like then opened up a different style of writing and a different way of hearing melody and stuff just i think naturally because i can only play in like g or c <laughs> so you sort of i ended up writing a lot of songs in those keys. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. uh, i think it's funny that you said that uh it wasn't as like you know with a piano it's not as easy to travel with um i interviewed a guy andrew mcmahon he was in he andrew mcmahon in the wilderness but he's he had a couple other bands and we were talking about the first band he was in something corporate and like he toured with a grand piano. Like he would push the thing. Like he was like, <laughs> was that like adamant? Oh I'm like, why did you not just use a keyboard? He's like, I, we needed the grand, you know, I'd push it through like the, you know, back of a dive bar in Denver or whatever it was. I just that thought that was wild. ridiculous. <laughs> I, I mean, I, in terms of the moment on stage, I get it. Like when you're, you can't compare a real piano to a keyboard not just it's not just about the sound it's the feel it's the you you can't compare it so i mm-hmm. i understand that instinct but for me the process of like touring and just the hassle oh my yeah. god by that point i'd get on stage and i'd be so resentful that i had to wheel the thing in <laughs> like, you're like i'm not even want to play exactly. <laughs> exactly. oh wow so you said in your 20s is when you picked up guitar and started writing songs yeah, or I was, was it I prior? In 21, 22, I think was when I first wow. played guitar. And when yeah. was that after you had already begun songwriting and wanted, knew yeah, you wanted to that, pursue that? Didn't know that I wanted to pursue it. I had written some church songs. Mm-hmm. Um, so I knew that I could write a song. I wasn't writing with the intention of like really performing them outside of that context at all. Um, The guitar came about because I got a job. I was 21. I got a job at a children's hospital um, for a children's charity in Melbourne. Mm -hmm. And we used to do ward rounds. I worked with like a team of people that would do like distraction therapy. So we would host kids in our space or we would go and visit kids on the wards and basically just try and, make them laugh and stuff while they're having procedures done or just, just distract them from the yeah. environment of the hospital. That's and I encouraged. Cool. Yeah. That's a cool thing. Yeah. I did it for 10 years. So actually funnily wow. my, my only other, cause I didn't go to university or anything. So really my only two skills in life are music or childcare. <laughs> <laughs> so, but entertaining children. I mean, that takes entertaining a lot children. Of 
It does I mean, take a lot of skill. I mostly played Mario Kart and just like thrashed 10-year-olds at Mario Kart. That was kind of my approach. <laughs> but one of the things that we would do is is uh, on our ward rounds, they encouraged us to use whatever skills we had. And some of the, some of my teammates would do like magic tricks or kind of jokes or like balloon making and things. And there was a crappy old guitar. Um, so I just grabbed that and kind of forced myself to learn. So that's really the first moment that I played a guitar. Um, and just like in the very safe environment of the Royal Children, the wards of the Royal Children's Hospital, just like hacked out, you know, um, you are my sunshine on guitar. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I taught myself how to play. And that was, that was really the first, uh, I ended up writing a song with one of the kids on one of the wards um, about the hospital and showed it to my bosses. And they were so impressed that they then flew me around the country to sing it at all of their fundraisers. And that really, that experience transition between being just a dude who like played music on the side to realizing that I actually enjoyed it and could see a way for it to be my career. Mm-hmm. What are you like validating moment there at the church yeah. or not the, at the hospital? Wow. Exactly. Okay. And then like, so I, you know, I played it. I remember at the fundraiser in Sydney and like, they raised just like a shitload of money from like that night, not just because of me, but I, I'm sure I was just part of this like very celebratory night. And I was like, this was fun. And then I played it in Adelaide and I played it in Brisbane and Perth and just like all around the country got to tell the story and play the song, see the impact that that whole thing had on people. And I was like, this is very fun. Like if music was this, I could do this. And that was really when I began like writing songs that were not, remotely like religious they just were songs about life and about people around me and and things and yeah that's where it happened did you release that song no there's there's a video of it on youtube but i never i nearly put it on my first album and it's i i have these certain songs in my life i don't know why this is but i just i get in my head about them and we never end up putting out a version of it but i've always thought maybe one day i would it's called let your light and it's on YouTube if you kind of look it up. Um, and I wrote it with a 13-year-old eating disorder patient um, at the Monash Hospital in Melbourne. Wow. That is really incredible. I'm looking it up right after this. That right. is such a cool story. Yeah. And then that ended up leading into you know, pursuing this and, and then that writing was the, your first record. That was just the like awakening from my brain. I was studying screenwriting at the time. I thought I was going to be a filmmaker. And that experience of playing that song for... Essentially, it was like but between all of the fundraising events, there was thousands of people around the country. Mm-hmm. That was the moment that I was like, oh, music could be amazing. Like, this is a really great feeling mm-hmm. outside of church. I already knew music itself was an amazing experience, but just performing, I was like, this is really special. And, and I think I'm good at it. Sure. Wow. Um, so, yeah, that's, that was really when I remember after that being like, I should do this. I should organize a gig and I should write more songs and I should, you know, so then I started like friends heard, you know, that I was interested in doing it. And like a friend of mine asked me to like open for her at one of her little shows she played in Melbourne. We were literally just, you know, the storefront window of some like restaurant. So we just like, we set up a little PA and I played, you know, very badly on my piano and little keyboard and ukulele and guitar while people were eating a risotto. <laughs> but it was kind of, it was great. Like, I, I think I'd kind of, it's like they say, you know, you kind of, I was bitten by the bug and that was mm-hmm. it. And from there, it obviously led into writing that first record, Sirens. And exactly. 
And with that album, did you like, what was the next kind of step from when that record came out? Uh, getting well, to that record, I guess. That, I mean, getting to the record was a slow process. I have this curse of taking a long time to make records. <laughs> the first album really took about five or six years to make as did this new album. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say the first album is what got me signed to my first record label in the States, which was secretly Canadian. Mm-hmm. And it got me my management, which I still have. I've got two US managers. Um, I mean, the first album really just like opened up the world to me. I, I'd funded it through crowdfunding. I made it with some friends. We were just fully self-releasing. And then just, it, I think once I got it out, it started to find its way to the people. And then that's what kind of brought me over to the US. And then once I got to the US with that album, that's when I sort of started showing all these other songs that I had that I didn't know what to do with, which is what got me a publishing deal with Sony. And it's just and a bunch of co-writes from there. Is that when exactly. you started co-writing with people? Okay. Yeah. And That's was right. that a majority of your time was just spent after, I mean, after the fact, I mean, if the record came out 2014 and the right. new one recently. So with all those years in between, was it a lot of just writing with people and, and writing yeah. for other people? Yeah. So the, my first ever co-write came from, there's a young Aussie artist called Wafia and she, Oh, I've actually, I've interviewed her. Oh, amazing. So I, so she has a song called heartburn Mm -hmm. and that was a song that I had written on my guitar, a chorus that I'd written on my guitar that I didn't know what to do with. And we were just, when we first became friends, we met through a mutual friend in Melbourne while Wafia was in Melbourne once. Oh, wow. We, We were trading like ideas of songs that we didn't know what to do with. And I showed her that song. And she was like, can you send that to me? And I sent it to her. And at the time it was just me on, I would just play it on guitar. It was just that, tell me why does my heart burn? It was very like bluesy kind of gunk, 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 When I see your face, you have made your decision. Um, send it to her as a voice memo. And then she was like, I want this song. And I was like, okay, great. And then she <laughs> said, you know, should we, should we write it together? And I'd never done that before. I'd never... I'd written with people before, but just kind of for fun, never like another artist asking me to contribute to their kind of songwriting bank. Um, So we wrote it together. It ended up getting produced. It came out. People loved it. Um, it, And then, then my managers were like, Oh, you can like write for other people. And I was like, okay. Um, (laughs) Sure. I guess. Yeah. Like, so then when I came over, so when I was touring my first album, there were a couple of things that kind of were interesting about the release of it. And I, because I'd put it out myself first and then re-released it with the label and Mm -hmm. it just sort of, it was kind of gearing up for like, let's get into it. And then like within a month, this cycle was kind of done. And there was just this moment of like, treading water of like, oh, what happens next? Like this album kind of is come and gone. Um, And in that time, my managers were like, what if we just got you writing with people while we figure out what to do next? We were trying to get tours and stuff for that album. um, And it wasn't really quite coming together. So they said, let's just get you in sessions. And it was in that time that I met Kesha. Mm -hmm. um, And we just instantly got along and ended up writing together. Um, and then, you know, it's like anything, like once there's word of mouth about like, oh, there's this new like dude who's in town writing songs. It's, my managers were able to just kind of use that and convince people to let me <laughs> come and write songs with them. Sure. And that's when then it it led to like 
three or four years of just writing with people. Um, I have, it's funny, like I haven't done compared to my other friends. I moved to LA right around the same month that Sarah Aaron's did. Sarah mm-hmm. Aaron's is a prolific like hit machine compared to Sarah Aaron's. I've written like two songs. Um, but I think I got, I think I found a good rhythm with it. Like where I just found the right people and and the right kind of rooms to be in. I'm not a, I don't write hits, but I enjoy writing. I always get the, like, I always get the sort of emotional moment on a record. <laughs> I'm always like the track where it's like, okay, now we're going to like really sing from the heart. Like that's the, that's when they bring me in. Well, that's special. And you do I'll, write hits. I'll so. take it. Well, <laughs> I can't afford a house yet, but you know, we're, we're, we're getting there. Not many can, right? Yeah. <laughs> Especially yeah. if you're still in LA. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> Um, well, what lands to, I mean, what leads you to start writing this, this new record and, um, you know, going back to being, you know, putting something out as a, as an artist, a solo artist. Well, I psychologically, I always, I was always like focused on being an artist, but I also, I guess there was definitely a moment where it felt like that there wasn't a lot of energy happening around my stuff as an artist and it was more happening around my stuff as a writer. Mm-hmm. So I was pretty happy to kind of not even hit pause on it, but to just focus on the writing stuff. Um, and then also right around that time, I was transitioning from secretly Canadian to Atlantic records. Mm-hmm. Just record deals are really complex and it took like, it basically took two years to move from one label to another, just between lawyers and mm-hmm. figuring out like, what does this look like? And cause I was on a, you know, like a three record deal or something with the last guys. And I loved secretly, like they, they are an amazing label and stuff, but it was all very like amicable and they were fully on board with me, um, you know, moving and stuff. But mm-hmm. I think just because that took a long time, there was just a moment of, again, like treading water Mm-hmm. Um, but once that was settled and I then was working with Craig Kalman, um, at Atlantic records, who became my A&R, I think then we were really like, okay, it's time to like focus on what this new album is going to be. And then incidentally, the, the years between the first album and the second album, just outside of music, my life just took such a, um, unpredictable sort of turn of events. Mm-hmm. So then that all just fed into the music. And in that time I was also writing my own stuff and, and writing into the experiences that I was going through. So once that once it became clear that we were ready to make a new album, I kind of had a bank of songs ready to go that I was able to show Craig and go, hey, what do you think of these? And he, for the most part, was into it. Mm-hmm. And there's, yeah, obviously you on your Instagram, you, you wrote a note and it's kind of yeah. the, the backs in all of, and with all of that, that kind of was what became this, this record or is it yeah, the stories so that kind of became this record? That's right. That's right. So right as the first album came out, basically I having grown up in church and, and being so involved. And as I've just sort of talked to you about, um, mm-hmm. there was in the years following that first album, just a lot of my experience of faith just really kind of unraveled because I, entered these years of, you know, really questioning and challenging what my sexuality was and what my faith in God was. And this woman that I, well, we were really settled on kind of getting married um, mm-hmm. 
the, that relationship derailed and just a, it was a really crazy tumultuous time all in the midst of like <laughs> writing praying with Kesha and writing for Demi Lovato and yeah. um <laughs> and and then it, when I would then go away from those sessions I would go home and just write my own songs that then ended up on this record and you know the okay. first few songs that I wrote for myself from the album were Runaway um I am here boy in a bubble those are the songs that were requiem was another very early one those were all written during this like very crazy time of questioning and again like because i was i was then like i'd like praying was happening and on the radio and stuff mm -hmm. when i would go home and like write a song like requiem i just didn't even think of it as like oh one day i'm going to perform this or like one day this is going to be on the radio or anything like that like it was very much I just wrote the song because I needed to write to process what I was going through. Mm -hmm. um, so the songs themselves, like it wasn't, I didn't enter the album going, okay, I've, I think I've lost my faith in God. I don't know what my sexuality is. Let's write some hits. Like right. it was not that I was just going through it and writing these songs. And then after after the fact when i finally met with craig and he was like show me what you've been working on i handed him like 30 songs in the midst of which were all these tunes and all of them were written during this crazy time of my life so it felt easy to kind of go this is what i would love to tell as a story on this album and i think it's i think it's here in these demos and we just have mm -hmm. to kind of pick through and find what tells the story the best and going going back to Kesha real quick the the most, most recent single is based on what? Something that she had said with another falling star. Oh yeah. <laughs> so another falling star is kind of, it's singular on the album. Cause it's, it, it, I think it actually subconsciously connects to the central theme. Um, but it is a little bit of its own kind of short story on the record. Um, but I wrote it with my friend, Cara Salamando, who I had written, I done sessions with, she's like a session writer in LA, phenomenal, mm -hmm. phenomenal writer. And we both were really not enjoying songwriting sessions in LA. And I remember we one day were like, let's just hang out with a piano, just the two of us. And let's just write something for us. Like not, you know, cause back in the day when we first met every session was like, let's write a Selena Gomez song. Or like, let's try and write something just like, for Haley Steinfeld, like just kind of soul destroying stuff. Cause it's not like Selena or Haley knew us or wanted us to write them songs. Like it, we're just writing. People would just ask us to like, imagine that they would love what we're going to say. So we were like, okay, we're just going to do one for us. And at the beginning of the session, when I got to her house, um, Kesha called me and I didn't, I knew Kesha obviously enough to have her number, but I didn't, we weren't like, now we're very good friends, but at the time we were still getting to know each other. So enough that mm -hmm. like, if Kesha calls, like you pick up, you, you, you have to answer. You, you're not, you're not, <laughs> like if Kesha called me right now, I'd be like, no, like I'm, I'm in the middle. Uh, I would ask you to answer. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine just on speakerphone. Um, so I remember answering and she then, Kesha's so funny and kind of wild, just immediately launched into this monologue about how the night before she had, gotten stoned with Dana Carvey and David Spade in Hollywood. <laughs> and she, cause, and I'd remembered she'd texted me the night before being like, what are you up to? You and I was like asleep in bed. Um, so as I was like, I was like, Oh, okay. Sounds like you had a fun night. And obviously Cara is just sitting there watching me like, what is going on? And then I said the phrase 
something along the lines of like, oh, so, okay, so you got high in Hollywood. That's exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, then hung up the phone and I was like, Cara, I'm so sorry. And she was like, no, no, no. She was like, did you get high in Hollywood is a great line for a song. Um, so then we sat down and kind of unpacked, like, what could that mean? What could that be about? Um, and then we wrote the song Another Falling Star about that. And then what's funny is I just, because that's purely the connection to Kesha. That's it. That um, Then we like the song itself, we kind of wrote almost, it was a little bit satirical about like our friends that we've seen come to Hollywood chasing their dreams and how it kind of, is it really worth it? And does it, or it doesn't really always work out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd never really thought about the overall theme of the song being about like a kind of fallen star. So then I would tell people, oh, Kesha inspired this song. <laughs> oh, man. And, and I just didn't think about, because it's technically true, she didn't, but I, I, it wasn't until much later that I realized that sounds like I'm saying, oh, well, yeah, like Kesha's this like failed falling Right, star. exactly. And that wasn't um, even the intent whatsoever. No, and she, Kesha was like, she was like, did I really inspire that song? And I was like, yeah, because you got high in Hollywood with David Spade. And she was like, oh, <laughs> she was like, I thought you were calling like me a falling star. I was like, what? No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, yeah, that, I felt bad about that. But um, yeah, yeah she, she likes the song. I, I'm actually trying to convince her to do like a duet version with me. She should. That'd be awesome. Right? I think she will. I, she loves me. So. Yeah. She did a duet thing with my... Uh, friends band the struts she did a song with them like with oh, the song body talks yeah she sang amazing. like a and i was like this she's is so best. cool like, she's the yeah. best i i think people I, it's one of those funny things a lot of this happens with a lot of famous people i know it's like the comedian thing where the personality of the human being is so different to the personality of the comedian as that's like, that they mm-hmm. present to the world and sometimes famous people are like this as well um and the kind of party girl um I think undermines sometimes. I mean, she is a party girl. That is that is her, but also she's genuinely one of the smartest, hardest working. Like, I think she has like a genius level IQ. Right. Yeah. Legitimately, like, um, and I think that a lot of people don't realize that that she's like so switched on. Her taste is incredible. Her, she she writes all of her songs, um, except for praying, which I help right um <laughs> but yeah she's she's genius i love her she's the best and i think and, and i love that you said that because i think a lot of artists don't get that sort of acknowledgement it once they well because to be honest level, some right? artists some artists put their name on songs and you're like i know you didn't write that song <laughs> <laughs> like i just know i've been in the room with some people that like take credit for songs and you're like okay you you're overselling that a little bit whereas with Kesha it really is true like she she's a phenomenal writer and she's just a great person I yeah that's amazing that's amazing (laughs) and and I saw the video that you did I think it's it's for that song right where you're on the roof or you're on the double-decker bus yeah yeah that was the so we do I do this series of um I call them walk and sings. It's I, just because I don't know. It sounds like a catchy name um, where we, it's all one take and the audio is performed live. The vocal is performed live. So we mm-hmm. sing to a track um, different. Like I have a couple of, I, there's also a music video for that song, which is different. Um, but yeah, we shot that on a double decker bus 
driving through Hollywood on a Friday night, which I cannot recommend. It was very <laughs> hectic, so noisy. Um, and it's funny, a lot of those walk and sings, people will be like, I don't think this is live. I'm pretty sure that you've dubbed this vocal. But on that mm-hmm. one, you can very clearly, <laughs> you can hear the bus. You're like, <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of bus on this on this song. How, how many of those have you done? And like, how do you done- decide on location? Location's always tough. We try and connect it to the song, and then sometimes we're just like, this is a cool location. <laughs> uh, I think I've done seven of them. Okay. But some, I've done two for songs that are not on the record. And then on the record, we did one for War in Your Arms, uh, Falling Star, Requiem, Runaway. Yeah. I did shoot one for in London for Friendly Fire, um, but there was, something went wrong with the microphone. Um, and one of the high notes, so we couldn't use the audio, but I was so upset about it because in the take that we would have used, because we usually end up doing about five or six takes Mm -hmm. in the take that we would have used. There's uh, when I listen back to the camera audio, you don't hear it through my lapel, but through the camera audio, there's a, in the background, it's a blur, but you see this figure like cross into frame and it's this guy yelling, shut the fuck up. (laughs) Shut Oh, we're just like singing on some street in like suburban London. He's like, shut the fuck up. Fucking shut up. I was so devastated that we couldn't. I mean, I'll share the clip to my Instagram at some point. I was going to say, you needed to share that. That's I'll hilarious. just share that clip. Yeah, but it, it was it's pretty amazing. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it's, not, <laughs> it's definitely live. People generally are fine with us singing, but that did happen in London. But it just, you just go out on the street and do it. It's not like, yeah. okay, we're going to shut this down. We're just going to. No, see just, what happens. Yeah, we just even in in we did some in New York. Um, I did one with Bryn Cartelli, and there's in one of the shots you can see there's just this woman like standing there watching us like walk past singing, and she's just like staring as we pass. <laughs> she's like, "Oh, this is normal, no big but deal." It's funny, it's <laughs> exactly. She's like, "New York, another day in yeah. New York." Right. I think. Uh, I, th- I think there is something like when you've got headphones on, like literally the headphones I'm wearing are the ones that we use. Um, when you've got headphones on, it's amazing how easy it is to just disappear into your own world. And just like I sing and I'm not, I, I'm not self-conscious about the fact that there are pedestrians. Clearly I'm not because they can scream at me to shut the fuck up and I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I definitely uh, can't wait to see that clip. That sounds yeah, so funny. I'm, I'm going to have to post it. I'll, I'll do it. Soon. That's awesome. And I really appreciate your time, Ben. This has been so awesome. Thank you so oh, much thanks, for, thanks for, for hanging out. My pleasure. Yeah, for sure. I do have one more quick question. Uh, yeah. Do you have any advice for aspiring artists? That is a, it's a good question. And it's, it's a tough one. Cause I just feel like the industry has changed so much since I was coming up. Um, and I, even I sort of feel out of touch sometimes now with what is going on i suppose i suppose my biggest thing when i look at young artists um and because i've even just started a record label with my managers and we've been looking for like what are the kind of young artists that we would be looking to sign i think for me the biggest thing is authenticity regardless of the genre regardless of the type of music you're making or the way that you want to even conduct yourself as an artist, whether you're Kesha or Bob Dylan. Uh, I think one thing that I feel 
we're losing or we have the risk of losing a bit with all the social media and algorithm and TikTok and things is everyone's so good at impersonating each other and everyone's so good at like being an avatar of someone else's ideas or like just copying what someone's done and putting their spin on it, which is fine. And people can be very talented, but what to me stands out from any crowd is someone that's so in touch with themselves and with just being a very authentic, honest version of themselves that sings louder than any hot voice to me. And I think that's, that's what I would be saying to anyone who's young and kind of coming up in the business or just looking to kind of make a career out of it is like, don't do the thing that you think everyone else is doing or wants you to do. Like you just have to kind of fight to be the most authentic. If you were left in the room and there were no cameras and there was no audience and there was nobody watching, what would you do? Um, and then-